up, what up, what up? Welcome to Hardcore Casual. My name is Wack Ops. How you doing? Man, I want to give a shout out to all my Californians right now dealing with this smoke. It is messing with my voice, my breathing. So I'm going to apologize ahead of time if I sound a little out of breath and my throat sounds a little scratchy. It's because California and most of the West Coast is covered in smoke and it's probably going to continue well into, I don't know, October. So let's hope this fire season lightens up and isn't too bad. And if you're in a part of the country that isn't under heavy flooding or smoke or or whatever, pray for the rest of us, please. But let's go ahead and jump into our headliners where we tell you what made the front page this week in games and entertainment. So we're going to go ahead and start off with the reminder that Gamescom is coming August 25th through the 27th. That's next Wednesday through Friday. They're going to be showing 30 plus games. Uh, There's going to be showcases from Xbox, EA, Activision, and Awesome Indies. Their Awesome Indies segment is always pretty cool. So go ahead and check that out. Next, we have the release of War Wakanda. That just dropped this week for everybody who is, for some reason, still playing Marvel's Avengers. I'm not going to lie. When I saw the release, the whole 16-minute video for it, I got kind of excited, watched some of the reviews. People were saying that it was the best kind of world-building that they have done so far in the Marvel franchise. So worth a check out. If you find a sale on Marvel's Avengers, maybe it's worth dipping your toe in, but I don't know. But T'Challa is being voiced by Chris Judge, who is Kratos from God of War, and they actually brought in the vocal coach from the Black Panther films. So it should be interesting. I actually, if I don't get it, I am still going to go watch some live streams of the the gameplay because I want to hear how the voice acting comes through. I would love to see some of those cinematics. But either way, there is some other news as far as Marvel Avengers goes. Marvel Avengers confirmed just this week via Screen Rant that Spider-Man is on schedule to come to Sony PlayStation in 2021. This is according to senior game designer Scott Walters. Quote, in terms of what we can say now, we've always scheduled and looked to bring Spider-Man out in 2021 for PlayStation owners. That is still on track, so we'll have more announcements later on this year. That's pretty good news, but... As we kind of get into some more Square news later on, I don't know how much faith I have in that being stuck to as a date. Obviously, it's loose. And I don't like exclusives in-game. I don't like like timed exclusives or content exclusives. So, you know, I'm on the fence about that. But if we do get Spider-Man in Marvel's Avengers, I do think that would be pretty cool for the player base. I think that might be one of the characters that could really bring this home for a lot of people, especially because if you've played all the way through Spider-Man, uh, what, 2018, and if you've already beat Miles Morales, I bet you're itching for more content. Uh, I know I am. Next, we have one for some of you retro shooter fans out there. Quake Remastered and Expanded is out right now on PC and console. This includes multiplayer, 60 and 120 hertz support, and mod support. Um, this is exciting for those of you who have gotten more into retro shooters. Go check out the game that pretty much started it all with a lot of the first-person shooter genre. 
definitely a pillar in the history of the first-person shooter genre. Next, speaking of first-person shooters, let's go ahead and talk about the fact that Call of Duty Vanguard was revealed this week. Um, We had both a cinematic and a Warzone teaser. Not really much gameplay to go off of. A little bit here and there, but it was really just screenshots. That's going to be coming November 5th. The biggest part about this news is maybe now we can get a Halo release date. I know that's what I'm hoping for, quite frankly. I was waiting for Call of Duty to have a reveal uh, and a release date so that we can map out the rest of this year because nobody, I mean virtually nobody, wants to drop on the same day as Call of Duty because it's one of the best-selling games every single year, uh, no matter what. Speaking of Activision Blizzard, let's go ahead and give you an update on their situation as far as their current lawsuit with the California DFEH. So, first things first, there's some news coming to us from Kotaku, and it's regarding departures recently. This is actually from an article from August 11th, so I'm a little late on this, so excuse me. But, quote, Diablo 4 game director Luis Barriga, lead designer Jesse McCree, and World of Warcraft designer Jonathan LaCraft were let go of Blizzard on Wednesday. Again, this is last Wednesday. Um, Now, what's notable about this is two of those men, Mr. Jonathan LaCraft and Mr. Jesse uh, McCree, were in that now infamous Bill Cosby suite photo. So um, that is something of note. It looks like they're doing some clean house over there. Good riddance, and I'm going to keep bringing this story up because I don't want this story to just go away like every other story has gone away. Speaking of more Activision trouble, they're actually facing allegations of crunch and unjust business practices. From what I can tell, there's no legal action behind this, but this is brought to us by Polygon. Quote, all 15 current and former employees Polygon spoke to, as well as a majority of workers that emailed statements through a representative said that pay is exceptionally low, with rates as low as $12 an hour. During crunch periods, some people said that they worked up to seven days a week for at least 10 hours a day, end quote. So there is some progress, I guess, being made over there at Activision, but I think it's a drop in an ocean of work that they have to do. I was actually going to bring up some of the Riot Games stuff this week, but I thought, you guys, this would be enough just to, quite frankly, keep a foot in their ass, man. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was really upset about that. Call of Duty is probably my most played franchise in all of out of every video game outside of maybe Pokemon and Grand Theft Auto. I love the game as it's my go-to re- relaxation game after work. Honestly, it's hard for me to boot up nowadays. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm sure if you're a listener to this podcast, there's a good chance that even if you do play it, it's still somewhere in the back of your head. And that that's something that we need to keep in the collective conversation. Otherwise, this kind of behavior is just going to keep happening. So with that, we're going to we're going to go ahead and cut it there and we're going to move into the streets are talking segment. Now, this is where we talk about rumors, gossip, controversy, and everything comes with a little pinch of salt. So we're actually going to put the nail in the coffin real quick to two separate games uh one of them real one of them fake first let's go ahead and talk about blue box studios this is the last time i personally will be talking about blue box studios unless they actually put out a video game 
if you weren't aware, you weren't in the know, I I was surprised last week. I I thought it was still a marketing ploy. I'm not going to lie. I thought this was like an indie developer trying to make the most of a, you know, uh wrong place, right time kind of situation. But Basically, they were supposed to do the reveal trailer via the PlayStation app, and the app crashed, and they couldn't get it up, and last week we were waiting for them to get it up. They still have not been able to put up any kind of game trailer outside of the same, what, 7, 10 second game trailer that they put out the day before, which is just like a guy walking across a wooden floor. Not even a guy. I don't even know if it's a guy. It's some shoes. (laughs) <laughs> wearing a walking across a wooden floor and it's it's virtually nothing and now on twitter and on reddit it originated i think on reddit but it made its way to twitter there was a chart showing every canceled game and every three or four years or so they would take in some money they'd announce the game they'd say they they're putting some kind of special experience together and then they would shut it down and say it was a technical difficulty and then shut down their entire platform all their socials all of everything now this last week people from the company or the one guy who represents the company i forget his name he's like all butthurt because people think that their company is fake and it's like dude you've done this like four or five times so no matter what either this is like to be fair like incompetent straight up and down or this is like somebody getting over so Either way, I'm done talking about it, bro. I I think this has been one of the funniest stories of 2021, and it shows how badly we miss good game content and just more stuff to sink our teeth into. I've appreciated this year the indie, but man, the fact how much hype got behind this no-nothing, this 0% of a game, like trailers and and marketing and, and social media campaign, man, it makes me sad. Now, the second game that we're putting in the dirt today is one that I, again, have a little bit of of resentment toward, and that's Cyberpunk. Now, why am I doing it to Cyberpunk today? Why today and not the last nine weeks that I've been talking to y'all? Here's why. Because we've been holding our breath (laughs) all year. And and I, you know what I said? I said at the beginning of the year, I'm going to give them a chance to put out one solid update. And when I say solid, I mean not bug fixes. I mean more content. I, I need an expansion. I need more missions. I need more customization options. I need improved customization options. I got none of that. I got none of that. No, no more perks, no new weapons, no nothing. 1.3, they gave us two jackets, bro. And I mean, granted, some bug fixes. You know what I mean? I, the reviews from it were like, for what they said they were going to do, were exactly what they were. They did what they said they were going to do. But the problem is, is that when I gave them my money, I was promised a game that worked. <laughs> Or at the very least, an experience I would not forget. And the the latter they definitely gave me. But this last run it is that. It's the last run. If I play this game, it's not going to be for content. If I play this game, it's not going to be bring it to bring it to y'all's attention. It's going to be to dissect and totally tear down everything that I hope this game would be. And I'm really, I'm really honestly butthurt that I got, I feel scammed. 
<laughs> I, I do. I feel like I got scammed out of my money. So that's two nails in the coffin for one for Blue Box, one for Cyberpunk. Good riddance. I don't want nothing else to do with them. I don't know about y'all. Next, let's get into some controversy behind Fortnite. So Fortnite, <laughs> this last week, uh, I don't play Fortnite. I'm not in the Fortnite metaverse or whatever they're referring to it as nowadays. But apparently, if you play Fortnite and you logged in this last week, you noticed a new game mode, and it was called Fortnite Imposters. Now, I'm pulling a lot of this information from IGN and Twitter, by the way, just so uh, we have our sources down. But essentially, it is an Among Us clone within Fortnite. That's all you need to know. Uh, I mean, carbon copy. Virtually nothing was changed. The map is, you lay it on top of each other, it's virtually identical. They didn't even change the names of different game mechanics like the emergency meeting is still called the emergency meeting they didn't change the room names like it's exactly the same now this is pretty common for Fortnite. if you look back at the tiktok dances and you know as minor as you might feel about that that's still how they got down and let's not forget that Fortnite didn't start as a battle royale game they stole that from PUBG before they were able to make it over to console so Let's just lay it out on the table for what it is and what Epic has been able to do. Steal people's content. That's fine. Whatever. It, it's art and it happens all the time. But I'm actually going to read you a quote from Innersloth co-founder Marcus Bromander, or ha as he's better known on Twitter, Puffballs United. Quote, we didn't patent Among Us mechanics. I don't think that leads to a healthy game industry. Is it really that hard to put 10% more effort into putting your own spin on it, though? I couldn't have said it better myself. In less than 140 characters, this man pretty much said exactly what he needed to say. Listen, I'm not for patenting different game mechanics in video games because it stifles creation. I think it's awesome that, generally speaking, within the gaming industry, people don't want to because... It's a lot of red tape and proving that you own a game mechanic, I'm sure is a real pain in the ass. But beside that, I think it's also important to allow creators to riff off of one person's initial design. In every art form, the constant conversation is who did it, who's more important, who did it first or who did it best? Look at sports, look at music, look at whatever. So I respect that position. But what I don't respect is straight up stealing. I was talking to a friend about this and I related it to a couple different things. Like at first I thought of Amazon, right? And how they take a, a, a product that somebody's already made and they'll make an exact copy of it and sell it on their store for cheaper, putting them out of business rather than making an iteration, a version of what someone's put out and just being a competitor and competing in the space. Whoever has the better product will win. And they do this in cosmetics, they do this in music, they do this in clothing. Pretty much anywhere you can see art and money touch, somebody's stealing. At least, not money, but a lot of the time, money, but ideas. People are always stealing other people's ideas. Very few people are truly original. So, you know, even Among Us didn't invent this 
style of game. They're not the first ones in the genre, but I think it's it's pretty garbage for Fortnite to be stealing at a time where there's still I, I believe the judge hasn't decided on their Epic versus Apple case. So we'll see, man. I, I think this is another example of Fortnite stealing, and I th- don't think this is the last. I don't know what the next big popular thing in gaming is, but whatever it is, Fortnite will probably steal it. Who knows? Maybe they'll have a four-person zombie horror survival <laughs> mode <laughs> coming up soon and copy back for blood or something like that. Maybe they'll have roguelike elements and copy Hades. Who knows what Fortnite might steal next, but... Shout out to uh, Inner Sloth and Among Us. They could have at least made a deal with them or shouted them out or something. Uh, that's that's trash. But moving on, I wanted to talk to you guys about an interesting conversation that I actually saw between Destin and Paul Tassie on YouTube. Go ahead and check those guys out. Both of them do pretty decent reporting, both on Xbox News, mostly for Destin and for Paul Tassie. He actually is a writer for a lot of different major publications. I'm actually going to cite him later in Forbes. So go ahead and check him out on YouTube. He mostly does like Destiny content, to be honest. But basically what happened was there was two stories this week that loosely uh, relate to Game Pass, or I mean majorly relate to Game Pass, one of which uh, is related to Square Enix and People Can Fly surrounding Outriders. Now, Outriders is a game that was released day and date on Game Pass, and as we'll get into in a second, has had some negative effects or perceived negative effects to it being on Game Pass, as so one of the members of People Can Fly believe. And then Hades is another story. Uh, UK box sales for Hades, apparently only 7% of those UK box sales are on Xbox. And so a question came up as to whether Game Pass is hurting games like Outriders, games like Hades. And I'm actually going to tell you why these two things are very, very different cases with different variables, but also why they end up boiling down to the same conclusion, which ultimately comes down to the fact that we don't have enough information to determine whether or not Game Pass is good for certain games or not yet. But let's go ahead and start with Square Enix, because I think this is a the the real powder keg that started it this week, whereas the Hades situation was kind of extra on top. Now, apparently Square Enix won't tell, Square Enix being the publisher of Outriders, won't tell the developer, People Can Fly, the sales numbers for their game. Uh, This is coming to us according to GamesIndustry.biz. Now, People Can Fly have received no royalties, which they expect later this year. This means, basically, the game was not yet profitable now why is that how this generally works is you put out the game and at the point that you make your money back for development costs and marketing costs and distribution costs then you start receiving royalties so essentially what they're saying is between april 1 and now which is a full quarter they weren't able to make what up whatever their development cost was that is disappointing considering how much hype was around this game. I mean, every content creator had something to say about it. At least touched it, at least played around with it, got their hands on it, and dug in and had an opinion about it. 
uh, for a game to break into the collective conversation like that, it's tough, especially as a double A, you know, Destiny esque copy, a hero shooter copy, a looter shooter type thing. There's a couple reasons why this isn't exactly the way people can fly or making it sound. But let me go ahead and read a quote from GameIndustry.biz because I want to give president of People Can Fly, Sebastian Wojcikowski, his chance to say his piece. So, quote, he suggests that this may be due to costs around distribution platforms, entities offering outriders as an addition to their platform, or other expenditures for Square Enix that People Can Fly is unaware of. Now, if you notice what he said there when he says, entities offering Outriders as an addition to their platform, there's no chance he's talking about anybody other than Game Pass, right? So, the question is this. A couple things. One, publishers not telling developers when their game is sold or how much, how many copies their game has sold. I don't like that practice. I think that should change. I mean, full stop. Next, we have the fact that Xbox pays for games to be on Game Pass. They don't just get there by accident. So where did that money go? Does that money get allocated into what would be considered paying off development costs? Or is that being pocketed by Square Enix and people can fly or just counting their sales with Game Pass working against them? You know what I mean? So it's a tricky situation because we're not really sure who's to blame. Now, this calls into question a couple of things. One, on the Square Enix side, because neither of these two parties are completely faultless for them to be bringing up Game Pass as any kind of fault here. Firstly, Square has had an inability to turn a profit and meet expectations for a long time. Uh, There was a tweet earlier this week that referenced Tomb Raider in 2013, Hitman in 2017, Marvel's Avengers in 2020, all three articles about Square unable to turn a profit or the game not making as much money as it hoped to be. Where are your expectations at, Square? Why haven't you been able to turn a profit with, quite frankly, four franchises, at least three franchises that I know to be immensely popular and I can pretty much pick up anytime I want? Short of Hitman, not my style, but Hitman people buy the game. I don't understand what the problem is. So it sound, it looks like there's maybe some mismanagement on the business side for Square Enix as a publisher. But then we have to look over at People Can Fly because they're not completely at fault e- without fault either. Because they didn't have the best launch. I mean, they had a great launch in terms of buzz. They had a great launch in terms of player count. You know what I mean? Engagement and and things like that. You know what I mean? I forget what the stats were, but a good portion of people beat the game. They played the game. And this is despite the fact that there were major bugs at launch. And I mean major bugs. Bugs that were wiping people's entire everything in your inventory. Like, that sucks for people who grind out games like I do. If I lost one of my legendaries that I collected, I'd be butthurt, dude. Like, that's crazy. So, at the end of the day, as far as this Square Enix story goes, Game Pass probably did not help, but is certainly not to blame. 
given the info that we have. Like, come on. If anything, Game Pass made your game accessible to people who are serious about it and wanted to support you. The problem is you left it on there too long and you weren't in communication with the publisher enough to know whether or not that money was being... that. Xbox paid that Microsoft paid to have your game on Game Pass was being allocated toward what you are being paid out, what you're due for development costs. And I think that's bad business practices on Square side, but it's also a slip up on People Can Fly. They need better lawyers. That <laughs> straight up. You didn't know your contract. That's a that's a big no-no. You know what I mean? Or leaving a hole that big. And if that's an industry standard, well, then we need to have another conversation. So I'm not going to get into that. Let's go ahead and get into the UK box sales for Hades, though, because this was the, you know, cherry on top as far as everybody trying to tear down Game Pass as if it is out the outright evil in, in the gaming space, which, let's be honest, I think only fanboys and haters are really doing right now. But the story of it all is the fact that, again, as limited as this is, UK box sales for Hades, which just dropped, what, last week on Xbox, only 7% of those box sales are on Xbox. 93% are on PlayStation. Now, this brought up the question of whether Game Pass is hurting games. Now, I'm referencing a Forbes article written by Paul Tassi, who I had referenced earlier. Again, keep in mind, these are just physical sales, and this is just in the UK. So we're not talking about PS5 digital people. We're not talking about Xbox Series S people. We're not talking about any of that. So a couple of things that makes this different than Outriders. One, it's not being released day and date. It's being released a year, almost a year out from when it was originally released. And personally, I own it on PC and Switch anyway. They already have my money uh so for me i feel pretty justified playing it on game pass and not paying for it but if i had not paid for it i've gone and bought games that i enjoyed from smaller creators because i wanted to show support via game pass but i do want to support games that i want to see more creativity behind or more money behind to see the full scope of or the full vision of it's an investment by the way, if you're listening to this, Supergiant, please put in cross-save to the Xbox console so that I can grab my account and continue along with the story. Because starting all the way over, I'm not going to lie, I I'm doing a lot better than I was when I first started out, but it's still kind of annoying because it's changing my story up a bit and I want to continue to what I started with. Anyway, now the hype behind Game Pass, it this is something important to note. The hype behind Game Pass could easily be driving sales on other platforms. So when you see all your friends on different platforms playing this game, maybe you might pick it up on the platform you have. It's possible. I want to see the sales numbers for PC and Switch and if they've gone up in the last however amount of time since it's been on Game Pass. I want to see if this engagement is, I guess, spreading the sales around the different platforms rather than being only on Xbox. Now, here's the thing. I think what kind of games are going to be good on Game Pass aren't going to be 
hundred million dollar games. I think it's going to be indies and small creators, double A's. Xbox pays for these games to be on Game Pass, but you know what? When you put a hundred million dollars into a game, Microsoft isn't giving you a hundred million dollars to put your game on Game Pass. So you're almost creating a challenge for yourself, a hurdle you got to overcome in order to get your game to be profitable at that point because it has so many people playing for free. So for smaller titles with lower budgets, they will do better. The ability to recoup in one payment, the likelihood of that happening is way higher. Let's say my development cost is only $10 million and Xbox is like, yo, we're going to give you $12 million to put it on Game Pass for the next six months. Cool, I could walk out the door. And now any sales I get is all right into my pocket. That's dope. Or not right into my pocket because obviously, you know, you still have to split up those dollars. But it's still profit at that point. It's no longer you paying off a debt. But for AAAs to succeed or even just really popular titles, time is the most important thing, not money. It's not about what Microsoft is paying them to get on the platform. It's all about how long you're on the platform for. If you're on Game Pass for nine months, bro, I'm going to beat your game in nine months. But if you're on Game Pass for like two weeks and then you're out, yo, that might get me to play. Because a lot of people are busy. A lot of people, especially with Game Pass, are busy because they want to save money and not buy a game and feel like they don't have time to play it. They want to play all these different diverse games. Yeah, dude. It's not just kids and, and, and young people who are who are buying Game Pass. It's a lot of folks like me who work a day job and are trying to do content creating and don't have time to just be purchasing games that I'm not going to pour all the time in the world into. Variety is more important to me. So if I was a AAA publisher... I'm not putting my game on Game Pass at all, but if I am, it's going to be for the shortest amount of time negotiable, and they're still paying a decent price, and that's all based on your lawyers, your negotiation team, and things like that, but I don't know, man. I I think a lot of these stories are overblown, and I think it's important to recognize the fact that Game Pass is not we don't have all the information. It could be good, it could be bad, but it's it's going to be a different situation depending on every different business partner's relationship to the market. So like, let's not put it all on Game Pass. Like, it they make or break a game. It can, but if your game sucks, that's not what killed your game. If your game is amazing, it's still going to sell. Let's just take everything with a grain of salt. Now, Let's go ahead and move on into The Real. Now, The Real is where we break down the latest in movie and TV news. I have a couple of stories here for y'all. Um, first things first, it's going to be... Next is going to be Avatar The Last Airbender. The Netflix sh- uh, show has finally got a casting announcement. Now, this is coming to us via deadline. Now, the show is supposed to be four to five seasons eight to 10 uh, episodes per season, about 40 to 50 minutes per episode. I'm excited. The cast looked really good. It looks like they have a lot of uh, good experience acting chops and things like that. But it's important to note that Viacom and Nickelodeon has already paid Avatar creators to create their own Avatar studios as a separate project. 
Uh, they've given them a boatload of money in order to create and flesh out this entire universe that is not affiliated with the Netflix movie now, or excuse me, the Netflix show. For everybody who watched that movie out there, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't watch it. I, I waited for reviews to drop, and when I found out it was the worst thing ever, I, I was really, really disappointed. Quite frankly, I don't want to really see this as a live-action thing. Seeing anime as live-action always was a bit jarring to me. I hope this turns out. I hope all these Avatar projects turn out, because I know it's one of the most beloved franchises in animation, at least out of my generation, and it's probably one of the best shows that I can remember from when I was a kid. Shout out, Toph. Next, we have the Eternals trailer. Now, we finally got a release date for this one. It's coming out November 5th. I cannot wait. I was not hyped for this. I thought it was going to be boring as hell. It's probably still going to have some lulls in, in there. But, man, if you watch that trailer, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Even though it probably already has. But, man, did that look good. I, I, I was excited to see them use their powers. The Eternals use their powers. I was excited to finally see the Deviants in there. I, I can't wait. I can't wait. I, I thought Shang-Chi was going to be the movie I was most excited for this year. Nope. It's the Eternals all of a sudden. I do really want to see Shang-Chi. I have seen some loose, like, non-spoiler reviews for that drop. It looks pretty good. I can't wait to see how the Eternals play into the future of the MCU because something tells me the Eternals aren't going to be one of those movies that, like, a bunch of them pop back up in, you know, the next Avengers movie. Like, no, I think they're like, I think this is going to be way more pivotal than they're letting on. And I think only really the comic book readers are super privy to how big of a deal the Celestials are in this whole story. So I can't wait to jump into that. Can't wait for November. November is going to be super hype between all the movies and the games coming out. Next, let's go ahead and jump into the What If from Marvel on Disney+. Plus. Now, What If, if you haven't started watching it, it's the animated show that's all about twisting your perspective on very popular stories that we all love within the MCU. Now, this is the second episode that came out this week, and it is called What If T'Challa Was Star-Lord. I really enjoyed it, but I'm not going to lie, it was pretty much carried by T'Challa and the story i did like the little heist thing the little oceans 11 get down that they were trying to do and i did like seeing the collector and uh howard the duck other than that i it was okay it was okay there were a couple aspects of it that i wasn't super enthused about but that's being nitpicky it was a great episode it's probably one of the best episodes that they're gonna have this season and I love the animation style and the action. And and I think that the writing in these shows on MC on Disney Plus has been better than probably a lot of the writing in the all of phase one to me, just in terms of dialogue. Uh, the witty banter is better. Still corny as all hell, but better. And certain aspects of it just they've got their timing down to such a formula that it's it's less clunky than it used to be, which is nice because usually with TV shows that are adaptations of movies or riffs or spinoffs of movies, uh, the writing quality goes down. But I would say 
I mean, across the board, Disney Plus, MCU shows on Disney Plus has have been very good. Very, very good. And you know what? According to Variety, there's actually going to be more. Marvel is planning more animated series. Quote, Marvel Studios already has multiple animated series in various phases of development for Disney Plus on top of a second season for What If and a series of photoreal animated shorts centered on Baby Groot that are both already in production. So, if you didn't know, get excited. Because I know all the Baby Groot fans are going to freak out. I think that's going to be the new Baby Yoda hype in like two or three years when that show finally drops. And I like the idea of the MCU going into animation. My only concern is... There are some really good animated shows out there that aren't directly tied to the MCU, but are Marvel property. And I wonder what happens to those. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll see. I can't wait to see the future of uh, MCU animation. Finally, we're going back to the roots and we're going to actually be doing some animated comic book shows. I'm excited. Um, next, I'm going to give you guys a quick update on the ScarJo lawsuit situation. I know we've gone into it a whole bunch, but I think it's important to give you guys just a little update on what's going on behind the scenes. So, Disney apparently restructured a deal with The Rock earlier last week. Now, why that earlier this week, excuse me. Now, why that's important is because that's what Scarlett Johansson is suing over. She's suing over the fact that she wasn't able to restructure her contract when Disney decided to send their movies to Disney Plus day and date, the same day as theaters. Now, The Rock was not planning on suing, and that's because his deal was restructured beforehand or before the release, but after the announcement. Emma Stone was rumored to be considering suing, but she just got a eight figure settlement contract with them and she is signed up to do a second Cruella movie now why is that important because it puts ScarJo on an island at least in terms of the court battle and it downs her gender argument because if you remember from last week I had said that uh, multiple organizations were backing ScarJo saying that Disney was being gendered gender discriminatory in terms of their business practice behind her contract and how they're handling these renegotiations. Now, not only that, but apparently Bob Iger, who was the good guy at Disney, but also seems to have dropped the ball in terms of who he placed in leadership to replace him, apparently he also supported the dual release alongside Bob Chapek. So... Not only does it seem like ScarJo doesn't have allies in the building in any serious positions of power, despite Kevin Feige's position, he's not a chairman of the Disney Corporation, and she does not have the backing of her fellow actors and actresses within the industry. But you know what? I think this did change a lot of things because it forced every actor in Hollywood to go restructure deals around cinema releases versus um, streaming releases. And that sucks that ScarJo had to be the sacrifice in this. You know what I mean? It sucks that she had to be the one 
to take the bullet. You know what I mean? Take one for the team. But I know a lot of actors and agents and lawyers are going to be paying a lot more attention to the structure of the back end when it comes to streaming. And now this is when you start seeing streaming, I think, become a lot more fully realized. But I think these moves are definitely going to force ScarJo to drop the lawsuit or settle. I don't think that the way that that Disney has positioned itself is going to be something that uh, Scarlett Johansson is going to be able to overcome, Uh, at least not from a courtroom standpoint. I think Disney's got the courtroom in the bag, if not literally, then figuratively. But this is a pretty public L for Disney, too, because those of us who, you know, can count steps are seeing that like, oh, you guys are doing cleanup duty. Y'all were trying to pull a fast one over on like half the like actors and actresses and creators in Hollywood trying to get what little bits you could because your parks are shut down. Straight up. That's what happened. That's how that went down. When parks shut down, Disney tried to grab all the dollars on the table. And now that things are loosening back up, their parks are back open, this and that and this and so, now they're able to renegotiate with people, but they needed to make sure that their bread was secured before the actors and the actresses were. So it makes sense. I I see similar things with, with the music industry, like once concerts got shut down, which is their big money maker because of merchandise and things like that, then all of a sudden you saw a lot of artists coming out saying that they're going to do independent work because their, you know, their record label is not working with them. So people are not only starved for content, but now they want it to be convenient for them and convenience is going to cost. Don't be surprised if Disney plus subscription prices go up or if movie ticket prices go up. This inflation is is everywhere, y'all. <laughs> Um, but right there, we're going to go ahead and take a break. I actually went for a very, very long time on that one. We need to go ahead and give me a little bit of air. But when we come back, we're going to jump into the platform wars. We got a little bit of Xbox news and we're going to go ahead and talk about that latest Pokemon presents. And then we're going to go ahead and get into our trigger warning topic of this week. We're talking all about Twitch, all about the hate raids. I need to know what's going on. All right, y'all come back. I'll be right here. Thank you very much. This is Hardcore Casual. Welcome back, guys. We're going to go ahead and jump right into the next segment. It is Platform Wars, where we keep a pulse on the major platforms in the gaming space and where they're headed to next. So let's go ahead and jump into one story from Microsoft, and we'll, we're going to go ahead and brush up on our Pokemon Presents. There's no stories from Sony this week. Uh, I think I've talked plenty about Sony this summer, so I think we can take a little break from them. Uh, as far as Microsoft, this next story is actually from Games Radar. Phil Spencer recently shut down Game Pass to Switch Rumors. For those of you who don't know, there has been Game Pass rumors in terms of what platforms are coming to pretty much since April, because once Game Pass really started picking up steam, all of a sudden everybody wants access to it, not only on their console, 
on their PC, but also in some kind of mobile platform, and thusly everybody looked at Nintendo Switch. This is a quote from Phil Spencer via Games Radar. Quote, we have no plans to bring it to any kind of closed platform right now, mainly because those closed platforms don't want something like Game Pass. End quote. I'll be honest with you, that sounded like negotiations did not go well or are, are not going well, and that's disappointing. It sounds like they did sit down and talk, but let's be honest. The business model behind Game Pass and the business model behind Nintendo are two completely different things. Nintendo is trying to get you to buy full price for every exclusive title they have every time. That's why you buy a Nintendo Switch. You think it's because you can play your games on the go, which I'm sure is a huge, huge draw. But you're also showing up for Pokemon. You're also showing up for Mario. You're also showing up for Kirby. You're also showing up for Zelda. You're also... Whoever. If it weren't for those titles, Nintendo would be a toy company. <laughs> so, uh, of course they don't want a subscription service on their platform that allows people to play, pay what a quarter of the cost of one of their one of their full price titles to be able to play hundreds of games no no that's the exact opposite of what nintendo wants they want their chips and it they want all their bread bro they want every dollar you have i mean like any business does i'm not hating i'm just saying their business model is different they have a different kind of battle nintendo has you in their ecosystem and microsoft is trying to get you in their ecosystem very different story but speaking of Nintendo, let's go ahead and jump right into their biggest story of the week, which is honestly the only thing I want to talk about from Nintendo this week, and that is the Pokemon Presents. So we got to look at a lot of things. We got, you know, Pokemon Unite and this thing called Pokemon Cafe Remix and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to talk about that. There's only two two games that we're going to be talking about, and that's one that's going to be the Pokemon Remasters, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. Now, for those of you that don't know, Gen 4 was the last Pokemon game that I bought and played with, you know, my own money. I didn't borrow from a friend or didn't use the emulator or anything like that. Diamond and Pearl was the last one. And when they said it came out 15 years ago, freaked me out. Even though I think their numbers are off. I think it was like 13 years ago, but whatever. They would know, not me. Anyway, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl are going to be coming out on November 19th of this year now. Obviously, with these remakes, there's not too, too much they're going to change um, in terms of game mechanics. They're not trying to add too much going on in terms of the structure of the game. But they did add a couple of different regions and areas that you can visit. So the Grand Underground is one thing that seemed pretty interesting to me. It was a number of different activities. I think that will allow you to unlock either options in different Pokemon or items or whatever the case may be. I thought that was kind of interesting. Next, they have Pokemon Hideaways, which I think is the big draw of this particular title. And essentially, you go to your base and whatever statue you put up in your base, there's a corresponding typage or biome associated with it. And then you can go and travel and visit that biome and the Pokemon will change based on what statues you have up. I thought that was a very interesting mechanic in terms of just getting people 
the access to the Pokemon that they're looking for in new and interesting ways other than just following this linear path throughout the world or somewhat linear path throughout the world and giving them maybe access to Pokemon from different generations and spicing the game up a bit. And of course, they gave us more customization options. You can customize your character a bit more and there are revamp contests. And I know despite what the uh, battle hardcores of Pokemon say, Yes, there are plenty of people who really do enjoy the contests. (laughs) They wouldn't put it in the game if people weren't engaged with them. Okay, now let's get into the big one because I, I, like you, was like insanely curious when they announced this game. I'm talking about Pokemon Legends Arceus. Now, it's the supposed first opening to a Pokemon open world game. I mean, you could say that the whatever region in um shield and sword was open world but it wasn't like truly open world now pokemon legends arceus is coming to us january 28th of 2022 it is a open world prequel in the hisui region it is a prequel to the Sinnoh region so this region will eventually one day become the Sinnoh region this is way back in time gave you point of reference the pokeballs run on steam power okay so that's the time period that we're in now three new pokemon were revealed one for traveling air land and water i am not going to name them because i do not remember the names because i am old or at least today i have old brain (laughs) but yeah oh bravery was one of them and each of them was basically a new form of an old pokemon that we've had before whether it be from this generation or others very exciting stuff. We got a deer, a fish, and a bird. <laughs> I love how I describe that. A deer, a fish, and a bird. No, but it, there are some like pseudo-legendary aspects that it seems like to these three Pokemon that they chose to reveal. Apparently, there are evil or possessed Pokemon within the game. From what I understand, the concept is this. It, it's kind of like a Breath of the Wild meets Pokemon Snap. The way the art style and the game mechanics kind of look to me, because... It seems like you're going to be given quests to go discover Pokemon. You can pick up side quests along the way. You grab items. You pick up Pokemon. You battle Pokemon along the way. But generally speaking, it's all about filling out your Pokedex. That is the main objective of the game versus the old games where it was all about becoming a champion. So I'm curious to see how this all plays out with the player base. The possessed Pokemon definitely was something that I was curious about because maybe they're like legendaries or something like that or in place of legendaries. Honestly, the biggest thing that people were talking about all day long as far as what was the biggest change? If I had to pick one, it's the new battle mechanic. Now, when you pick a move, for those of you that are familiar, you pick moves and it's usually one move to one move for each Pokemon. Now, they have a new style where there's a battle queue um, where different moves will be placed at different times depending on what style you use. So let's say I use Slash or Tackle. Now, there's a strong style and an agile style to use that move. Now, if I use agile style, I might be able to use Tackle and then another move in quick succession. Or if I use strong style, it'll have more power, but I only get to use that move once so i'm very curious how this comes out i don't know if that that battle mechanic is going to make it to competitive but i think if it did 
that would be way more interesting than, you know, Gigamax or Dynamax or any of those changing form things. I'd like an actual battle mechanic rather than a evolution or cheese almost, you know what I mean, to get around going head up with with different Pokemon trainers, man. Like who has the best strat? Who has the best ability to to compensate for what they're missing on their team? Cuz that's tough. That's tough. But that's enough of that. I'm really excited for it. Can't say I'm going to purchase it. I still need to see more. A lot of people are disappointed by the graphics. Uh, can't say that I don't agree. I mean, a new concept in the Pokemon formula, in the Pokemon franchise. I'm very excited for it because we deserve it. We've been playing the exact same game, more or less, for 25 years or something. So yeah, switch it up, Pokemon. I'm excited. All right. That's enough of the fun news, y'all. Are y'all ready? Well, sit down, take a deep breath, because we're about to get into the trigger warning topic of the week. This is where we dissect everything under the surface and bring it to light. And this week, we're going to talk about the hate raids going on on Twitch. Now, I've been hearing about this for weeks now, actually. I didn't want to just bring it up half-heartedly or whatever. I wanted to wait until there was actually some people who had something to say about it. Because I could easily just go off on a tear, but I want to make sure that these segments are a little pointed, that we have something to weigh us down. So I'm going to pull from two different articles, one of which is from IGN, and the second is from Polygon, where we're actually going to hear from the person who started the hashtag Twitch Do Better. So if you're not familiar, let me get you caught up on kind of what's happening. One, what is a hate raid? A hate raid, generally speaking, is where somebody spams your chat uh, using a bot to say a bunch of perverse, racist, offensive things. Typically racist, or but it's uh, it's also happening to you know the trans community, the LGBTQ plus community, the you know females. It's happening to all kinds of different people. Okay, so it's not just, or women, I shouldn't say female. It's happening to, it's happening to everybody. It's not just a, a race issue, but I think this last week, very pointedly, that's where I saw it the most pr- uh, prominently on Twitch. Now, again, I'm not currently on Twitch. I'm looking into it, but this was discouraging, if not anything, uh, but at the same time, it kind of motivated me to maybe, maybe I should be on Twitch. Maybe I do need to dive into it just to make room. So hate raids are basically where, you know, bots spam your account to say a bunch of racist stuff, right? After about a couple of weeks of this going on in different marginalized communities in, in Twitch, a hashtag was started and it's Twitch do better. Hashtag Twitch do better. Now, Twitch had a response to this after this recently started trending on Twitter. Um, This is transcribed from IGN. Quote, we've seen a lot of conversations about botting, hate raids, and other forms of harassment targeting marginalized creators. You're asking us to do better, and we know we need to do more to address these issues. That includes an open and ongoing dialogue about creator safety. The article continues, the Amazon-owned streaming service 
explained that it has been able to, quote, identify a vulnerability in its proactive filters and that it has rolled out an update to close this gap and better detect hate speech in chat. To supplement this further, Twitch has also been launching channel-level ban evasion detection and account verification improvements later this year that it hopes will have a big impact on the issues in the future. I I don't know the nuts and bolts of, of all of what they're talking about there, but my guess is we probably heard things like that before. I'm not super tapped in with the Twitch community, but they're very active in some of the spaces I frequent on Twitter. So there are plenty of Twitch folks who I do come in contact on a regular basis, and they could probably give me a better inkling into what exactly, you know, the proactive filters and how those work or how chat has previously detected hate speech. IGN continued the article by giving us a little information about the creator of the hashtag Twitch Do Better. So, quote, the hashtag Twitch Do Better was set up by a streamer called Wreck-It Raven after they reportedly they were reportedly hate rated twice in just a week. Since then, a number of other streamers have got behind the hashtag in support of the campaign, and and the term began trending on Twitter, as I said before. Now, I'm actually going to read you a bit from PC Gamer, because PC Gamer actually got a interview with Wreck-It Raven, and they discuss how it all came about in terms of, one, what these hate rates are and how they started, but also their position on what should be done about it and how it feels to be a creator in this space. So, quote, then I started talking about it. The more people that were in marginalized communities or marginalized groups were really saying, hey, this happened to me too. I'm unfortunately used to getting some form of hate. I'm a queer, femme-presenting person of color. I'm a very easy target. But this was more than just the, you're black, you're fat, you're gay stuff. These attacks were very pointed. They continue. The go-to response from people who don't agree with the movement is, get thick skin, says Raven. I'm black. I've had thick skin my whole life. But it doesn't mean that seeing really hateful things in a place or a community that you have built and fostered on being respectful doesn't mean I don't internalize that because I do. I think everybody does because it's hard enough for marginalized people to exist in the real world anyway. So we, when we carve out, at least in my case, my little dark corner of the internet and people bring that to me, it's hurtful. Twitch went on to respond again with the, the response I read to you earlier. And Raven had, a, had responded to that. Quote, I am happy that they finally responded. So we know that they're actually seeing what's going on, they say. But we've been here before, right? And not much has changed. I mean, they come out with a new, clear, defined terms of service at the beginning of the year, and people are still not being held to that standard. So I am optimistic that they responded and that they are hearing everyone who is crying out like, hey, we're literally being abused on your platform. I don't know what's going to come out of it. I really hope that they reach out to me and a couple of other marginalized creators, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to be honest with y'all. I brought this story up, but I do not have answers. I don't know what we're supposed to do. 
On the tech side, I'm sure there's more that we can do to stop this from happening, to stop, as Raven said, people from being literally abused on the platform. Like, it... If you go on Twitter and you see some of the the attitudes behind this stuff and how people are not letting it get to them and and pushing through and all that, I, I, I salute you. But that doesn't mean that we should be able to put up with it just because we have and we can. We shouldn't stand for that. And more than that, like, I wish there was... I wish there was a place in the Twitch ecosystem for people to voice their concerns and be heard in a public forum rather than having to send a bunch of emails or having to start a hashtag. Why not create a situation where people can actually voice formal complaints about what needs to change at Twitch or more than that, a system where everybody can, I don't know, vote on what kind of what kind of content moderation they want in place. Because at the end of the day, I think, you know, in a world that's constantly just being drowned in more and more bot activity between, you know, whether you're trying to buy a console or whether you're just trying to stream on Twitch, it seems like bots are making it harder and harder for people to just live their video game life. All the creators that I've seen, from what I can tell, 90% 90% of the time aren't on some SJW, hoorah, whatever your get woke, go broke crowd, all that. I, listen, I'm not talking about all that. What I'm talking about is the fact that if this was happening, I saw a tweet earlier. If this was happening to Pokimane, I wonder if Twitch would do anything about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I wonder if this would continue. And it and it's one of those things where, yeah, like Ninja, if this happened to Ninja, would this continue? Would this stand? Would people be okay with it? Would Ninja be okay with it? What would he do? I'm I'm I I think I'm tired of black creators having to take shit in stride because we're doing that in real life anyway. We're taking shit in stride anyway in our day jobs, in society. So when we create a space. I don't like the term safe space, but I I do like the idea of having a certain level of safety in something that I cultivate. And if you're telling me, oh, well, build your own platform. Oh, well, bro, that's obviously not how the world works. And we shouldn't be the ones who have to leave a platform that we created, that we poured real value into. Now that now that it's a problem for other people that we're we're there now that we're at the forefront now that we're getting opportunities now that we're actually making some headway people want to push us down and it's our fault we should leave the platform no they should leave the platform don't put the onus on the victim and this isn't a victim mentality but just in general don't put the onus on the person who's being perpetrated against because the perpetrator is a customer what about the creator what about the person who's actually bringing the money in look i don't know i don't believe in the whole customer is always right shit i don't believe that there are certain things that even if you give me money i'm never going to do 
And I think that is a standard that is uncommon in the creator space, but needs to be very common in the black creator space. And I think that other people need to recognize that we're not just going to do whatever. We're not just going to be with okay with whatever. And don't, don't be over there like, oh, build your own because when we do, or if we do, and then you come over and try and turn it into something it's not. It happens all the time in all kinds of media with uh, uh, black creators, but also female creators get their credit uh, taken from them. LGBTQ creators get taken from them. A lot of marginalized communities be getting screwed over by these platforms because we bring value to these platforms. Period. And yet they they we're expendable. So, hey, I'm going to give a shout out to a couple of uh, people that I know that this has happened to over the last week. And I want to give all my love, respect and attention to these people. Please go follow them. Go subscribe to their channel. Go shoot them a sub. All the things you have to do to support them and uplift them, not because they need it, but because they deserve it. Because they work hard and they create good content and every hater out there who's making life difficult for people who just want to enjoy their content, people who just want to engage with them, making that an impossibility, walling off us from our communities in the virtual space is unacceptable. And so I hope that all this technical jargon that Twitch is talking that they're talking about implementing will actually come into fruition and actually benefit some of the creators I'm at, uh, about to name. So shout out to Drunken Buddha. He's on Twitch and Twitter. All of these people are on Twitch and Twitter. Please go follow them. Uh, Sen- Sensei CJ. Uh, and then you have Amazee. That's U-H-M-A-A-Y-Y-Z-E. And then you have Phantom X2. Phantom underscore x2 go ahead and give them a follow and then you have cypher of tyr uh and then lastly you have kareem cheese please if you if any of those creators sounded interesting to you even if they didn't go check them out and give them a chance go give them some of your support while other people are consistently trying to tear them down and they're persevering consistently they're dealing with some form of abuse because they just want to give you something worth your time. So go show them that their content is worth your time and go support. Uh, thank you for supporting a black creator like me. I appreciate it. And I hope that these folks who I just named and all the people in the black creator space or the marginalized group creator space over there on Twitch are kicking indoors for me for when I come to Twitch and I want to create my own situation over there and connect with them. So Let this be a warning to all y'all who are doing the hate raids. I'm coming and I'm not going to shut up. I promise. I might not even talk. I might not even address you straight up. I'm going to keep talking all the time. Count on it. But let's go ahead and move on. I want to go ahead and let y'all all all know that you can holla at me over at my Gmail. That's wackops at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at wackops. That's W-H. A-C-K-O-P-Z. Go ahead and give me a follow. Go ahead and subscribe, like, share, review, retweet, uh, detweet, upvote, whatever you got to do to get this podcast in the ears of other people who you know would enjoy it 
I would I would certainly appreciate the help. Every single listen, every single download matters to me personally. I see every single one. I see all your comments. I love you. I love you. I love you. Thank you to all of you who came out. So I'm going to leave y'all with what I always leave y'all with, and that is the shout out of the week where we give people their flowers and hold them, hold them up high. Now, this week, our shout out goes to Courtney Kemp. Now, if you're not familiar with Courtney Kemp, she is the creator of the hit show Power. She just inked a eight-figure deal with Netflix. Now, this is according to Deadline, quote, the creator of the Stars franchise has inked a high eight-figure overall deal with the streamer to create new series and develop other projects for a global audience through her end-of-episode banner. Baked into Kemp's newly minted four-year agreement is the possibility of her compensation rising to nine figures based on the success of the new projects. That is amazing news. I want to give a shout out to Netflix too for potentially, potentially putting over a hundred million dollars in a black woman's pocket to create what she believes needs to be on TV. I love it. I love it. That that is amazing news. I'm going to keep shouting out when companies do right by people. I'm going to try and keep seeing more opportunities be given to people of color, specifically women of color. I, I, want, I need more black women voices, more Latin women voices, more Asian women voices, all kinds of people of color. I need to hear y'all and represent and kick in the door for me because I'm still coming. I only got this podcast for right now, but I promise you as we get bigger and bolder, we're going to need your support. And I hope that y'all reach out to me for mine. Without further ado, I'm going to get up out of here because we are running way over time. But I love you all. Please be safe outside. Thank you. I am Whack Ops. This is Hardcore Casual. Have fun, be cool, and stay dangerous.